0: Instagram ruined women for a time. Ugh, people did weird things. Once you sign with an agency, you're no longer a human being on the internet. That's the end. You are a company. You're Walmart. So it's every man for himself in the comments. And and everything you post is product now. Even if you're posting something personal, everyone reads with the sense that they might be being sold something.
1: In 2011, Natalie Levin of the hey Natalie Jean Instagram account was making more than $70,000 a year as an Instagram influencer. If you looked at her Instagram back then, her life looked pretty goddamn sweet. I followed her, and I wasn't married, and I didn't have kids, and I still wanted her life. It was a lot of pictures of her adorably squishy son, Huck, perfectly coordinated outfits with Huck, and sweet talk of her marriage to a man she referred to as the Hobes. Natalie went to parties for Tiffany. She got photographed on the red carpet. She even got a book deal for an entire book of advice for moms. By every available metric, Natalie was living the dream. But with that spotlight comes criticism. A lot of hate. In the momosphere, that hate comes mostly from other women. Other women who were intent on ripping Natalie apart. There were entire comment boards on the internet dedicated to shitting all over Natalie. Strangers bonded online over mocking her life.
0: I was inviting a lot of people to have opinions on what I was doing. And it kind of felt like I had just like peeled off my skin and I didn't exist anywhere because I was everywhere.
1: Natalie's anxiety got crippling. She had to go to therapy. She went on antidepressants all because of this hate being thrown at her on the internet. Her relationships began to crumble. Her marriage began to fall apart. The things people said about Natalie Online would have broken anyone. They would have broken me. I'm Joe Piazza, and you, me, and everybody you know, we are all under the influence. Chapter 7, Burning Cats. Last week, I took a break from the Instagram, and a lot of you have asked me how it felt. It felt great. I felt like there was more air in the room to breathe. Something that I didn't mention in last week's intermission is that, as I've been posting influencer content to my feed, I've also been getting a lot more criticism in my feed. Now, it's not like I'm new to online criticism. When I was writing for the New York Daily News and talking about celebrities all the time on TV for like CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, people would actually email me and say, I hate seeing your fucking nose on TV and it looks like it's been bashed in with a baseball bat. Yeah, it's a real thing people said to me. And those comments made me get a nose job. I've never admitted that to anyone. I'm also not new to this because it used to be what I did for work. As a tabloid reporter and editor, I was kind of a professional celebrity mocker, and I was very, very good at it. The prologue of my first book, Celebrity Inc, actually made fun of Britney Spears at her own birthday party. Yeah, that that doesn't age well, does it? I wish I could say that I've put it all behind me that I don't engage in bashing any women anymore, online or off. But as a recent conversation with Clunas reminded me, I can still get wrapped up in it. Where did Hilaria Baldwin get that baby? <laughs> Clunas and I were having this conversation on the day that Ilaria Baldwin, wife of actor and rage machine Alec Baldwin, dropped the news that she had a new baby a new baby just six months after she had birthed a completely different child.
2: What I don't understand is, on the one hand, like, do they owe an explanation? On the other hand, I'm like, if your whole life is I'm posting photos of my children, my guess is they had a surrogate as a backup. But why not just say that?
1: Why not just say that? And if you are a normal human being, you don't owe anyone any explanation. Mm -hmm. But if you're a person who builds your life on the internet and your brand is being a mom. You don't just reveal baby and then say, mm, not telling you where this baby came from. Well,
2: all I can think is that this woman has taken birthing to like a performance
1: art level. I'm kind of getting a, a strange joy from talking about this hilarious Baldwin thing. And that is one of the dark sides of Instagram, the phenomenon of women taking down other women and talking about other women, especially women that put themselves in the public eye. I mean, the internet is a terrible place to be a woman.
2: It's a I terrible mean, we both place. know that, but every woman knows that. Every woman who's ever been in any spotlight, I think, knows that it's a terrible place to be. Just ask Liz Taylor <laughs> right. or Britney Spears. <laughs> right. Women taking down other women feels like it dates back to the beginning of time. I imagine one of Eve's neighbors, once they left the Garden of Eden, was probably trying to take her down at some point. <laughs>
1: She's like, she definitely took more than one bite of that apple. <laughs> right?
2: I do think that the language we have to discuss women is rooted in misogyny and that we have all internalized in ways that I think we are unaware of much of the time. When we talk about hate following or hate watching, but particularly hate following on Instagram, like, have you ever met a man that hate follows or even hate watches anything?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, no. it doesn't really exist for them, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I asked Nick if he hate follows anyone and he looked at me like if I had looked at him and just said, hamster, hamster, hamster. <laughs> he couldn't comprehend it at all. Now it is easy for two women bitching about how hard it is to be a woman, to speculate about how things are just different for men. But it's true. Totally rooted in reality. There is a reason that Justin Timberlake wasn't the one getting life-altering hate in the tabloids in the early aughts. We have this researcher on our show, Jocelyn Sears. She is a genius. And I sent her off to see what she could find on the subject of women hating on other women. And she found a lot of stuff. Hate following and shitting on your fellow females is something that women have been socialized to do. There is so much to say, and my narration does not do it justice. So we're bringing Jocelyn on to talk about it. You've done so much research for all of these episodes that I can't believe this is the first time that we're having you on.
3: Yeah, I guess that's sort of funny. I'm used to being behind the scenes.
1: You dug up this great quote from the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer. What did he say about women hating on other women? He
3: said that the feeling between male strangers or acquaintances was, quote, mere indifference, whereas for women, it was, quote,
1: actual enmity. Which is interesting because most of the influencers, like most of the people who look at influencers, who criticize influencers, they are strangers. They don't know them in real life. And there is actual enmity against them. Is there any kind of historical or scientific basis for women being nasty to other women? Um, some
3: psychologists have suggested that we are socialized to behave this way when we are young. And also that this is a way that girls take out their frustration against the world on each other. So if boys are being mean to them or they're feeling bad about themselves because of the way they see girls and women portrayed in the media, that they realize that other girls are a safer outlet for that And that they're less likely to face repercussions if they're cruel to other girls. And that this is something that we become accustomed to as we grow up into
1: women. And there's places on the internet where women can do this. There's entire internet communities for what is called hate blogging.
3: Yeah, so this is fascinating. And I think that the Instagram influencers who are the subject of these hate blogs also in many ways, are not themselves the the real source of the anger. You're not really angry at these individual women. You're angry at sort of the culture that elevates this kind of perfection. But it's difficult to sort of yell at the Instagram industrial complex, if you will. Yeah, of
1: course. It's not like we can show up at like the Instagram founder's house and be like, you make me feel like shit, Kevin Systrom. But... We can tell women like Courtney Adamo or Natalie Levin Mm -hmm. that we think they're fake ass losers and maybe feel a little bit better about our own messy, gross, pee and shit stained lives.
3: And we're not making ourselves vulnerable doing that in the same way we would be if we were like, wow, looking at, you know, your like perfect, clean angel children makes me feel terrible about my messy, jam-colored, sticky children. But it is much easier to make it seem like it is about something that the other person is doing wrong, some way that they're lacking, rather than some way that we feel like we are lacking.
1: Okay, enough with the theories. We know this is real. We know that it is a thing that academics and philosophers and scientists and all of these really smart people have studied. Women on women hate is a thing, but it is a terrible dark thing to have in the world. And when we get back from the break, we are going to talk about some of the actual harm that is caused from girl on girl hate on the Internet. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, hate does not only exist in Instagram comments. Some people's urge to rage against internet celebrities is so strong that they seek out entire forums for it. I've been looking at a lot of them. They're addicting, they're hard to look away from, like real hard to look away from. Remember how I used to just scroll and scroll Instagram? Now I just scroll and scroll hate forums. I do. They're called hate forums or snark boards. And I've been looking at them to see how it's affected some of the influencers I've talked to. But also because I can't look away from them. I have to know what these women are saying. It's not pretty. Don't start. I called Glynis to talk about it and also to have someone tell me to just stop. So do you remember back in the beginning, the beginning, the very first episode? It feels like forever ago when Liz Lenz, she said something super brilliant.
4: do whatever you want. Like you're fucked anyway. So decide which way you want to get fucked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> women, you're fucked either way. And I keep thinking about that. And I keep thinking about the abuse that we heap on other women on the internet. And it's like, you're really successful. You're making a lot of money as a mom influencer. You're a terrible mom. You're fucking up your kids. Or look, you you have this beautiful life on Instagram. It's all fake. You're not authentic. Or, oh, congratulations, you got another baby. Where'd you get that fucking baby? <laughs> Where'd you get that baby? Where'd you get that baby? Have you ever been on the website? And get off my internet, Gomi. No. It's the abbreviation is no. Gomi. Um no. Well, for the past decade,
2: I was going to say it sounds. Me. It sounds very much like an internet uh, website that existed in like the the
1: early aughts. Well, it was created in two thousand eight, so more than a decade ago, and that is where a lot of this hatred and jealousy that gets aimed at influencers but also mom bloggers and mom influencers it's like old gawker meets a middle school slam book did you have slam books in canada i don't think so
2: i'm also older than you but we had bathroom stalls
1: <laughs> life was better in canada anyways if you go on go mm-hmm. get off my internet you can search back 10 years about like all of the trash that got talked about these women a thread about hating Natalie Levin got so much traffic that it nearly broke the internet. And it was just people ripping her to fucking shreds. She, like Suddenly she was the Britney Spears of mom influencers. And everyone loved to weigh in on what Natalie was doing wrong. And she said that those comments are what like nearly broke her. Of course,
2: how do you shoulder that?
1: I don't know. I asked Natalie just that her answer should have been obvious it was that that kind of criticism just really weighs on a person you take it in and it lodges itself in your body in your bones
0: so if it started to feel like i was in a hamster wheel to be honest it was just you know sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill and then letting it crush you and tell you that you're ugly and a bad writer and <laughs> you have bad style you're copying another blogger Someone else did it first and better.
1: It got worse and worse. She annoys the fuck out of me, but I do feel bad when I see her trying to conceive posts.
2: Does anyone else find these fashion posts absolutely terrible? They're making me cringe every time I see them. I get annoyed by her melodramatic posts about infertility. Today's post was just over the top. I know it sucks, but I can't help but feel like she's wallowing in self-pity. Definitely annoys me too. I don't know what it is.
5: Probably
1: your face. (sighs) This is worse than that time in middle school, where all of the girls called me Stuffy McStuffins because I stuffed my bra. I did stuff my bra, but they didn't have to call me that. The internet is essentially middle school. It is middle school, and everyone is judging you. Your real friends in real life are doing it, and then these other women who are complete strangers are doing it. Gabby Blair of Design Mom remembers really well watching the internet comment sections that tried to take Natalie Levin down.
0: What she had to endure as far as women hating her, like when we talk about like women hating other women, and not just her, there was other people too, but it was horrific. It was so gross. And the sites that tried to take her down and really ultimately did are still around trying to take other people down.
1: The same exact thing happened to Heather Armstrong. Deuce. You know, one of the very first and most successful of the early mom bloggers. Heather had created a miniature media empire based off of her irreverent mom blogging. But around 2012, things took a nasty turn. When she split from her husband, her fans went nuts. Often in hate-filled diatribes against her in the comments on the website Get Off My Internets. Heather needs to get
5: the fuck over her childhood trauma. Like, dude, you're 43 and you've spent most of your
1: life in therapy? You have a fucking sweet life. No one should ever mock anyone for being depressed or going to therapy. Like, fuck those people. By 2017, Heather Armstrong was willing to try anything to feel better. She actually went into a clinical trial where she was put into a chemically-induced coma for 15 minutes at a time for 10 sessions so the doctors could approximate brain death to see if it would help cure her depression. In an interview with Vox, Heather Armstrong said she felt like her life was just not meant to be lived. And even though she'd lived with depression her entire life, she attributed the worst parts of it to living her life so publicly and dealing with all of this rage and hate from other women online. She said, quote, the hate was very, very scary and very, very hard to live through. It gets inside your head and eats away at your brain. It becomes untenable. This happened to Natalie Levin too. The comments on her posts and on the website Get Off My Internets, GOMI, that's the abbreviation for it. Those comments got so bad that Natalie Levin was withering away. Quite literally.
0: I got really skinny and I couldn't eat. It was just really, really terrible. I got down to like 85 pounds, fully clothed, and uh, was just a, a nervous wreck. I no longer felt like I was my own person with skin boundaries.
1: you feeling all the feelings right now? Because I'm feeling all the feelings right now. I'm feeling sad for Natalie and disgusted at the people who shoved her into this spiral of depression. But where should we be directing that hate? Who is the person that drove Heather Armstrong to agree to go brain dead? Should we really just blame evolutionary biology? Evolution that has created this woman-on-woman hate? Or is there a person we could point to? A place we could point to? If you were to personify that hate, what do you imagine? Oh, hey. Can you, hear? can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? That voice is Alice Wright, the creator of Golmi. Alice started the website Get Off My Internets in 2007.
5: I was snark commenting and writing snark pieces for a website about Julia Allison. I think it was Reblogging Donk or something.
1: For those of you who were not in New York in 2007, Julia Allison was this kind of faux socialite blogger. While Alice was writing snarky pieces, she suddenly realized that there might be a bigger market for writing snarky pieces about other women on the internet.
5: It's really that simple. I wish there was some catalyst or amazing idea I had to be internet famous and fabulously wealthy for talking mm-hmm. crap about people. But no, that was, that was it. And I somehow sort of shifted into talking about fashion bloggers, which then of course turned into mommy bloggers and now they're all just lifestyle bloggers. Thank God you cannot see me doing air quotes. Please just pretend I didn't do that. You know, just adding them opened up a whole new world of snark for me. Because obviously if there's one thing that people not raising children love to do, It's talking about how people with children are doing it wrong.
1: And you know that. (laughs) From your perspective, why do you think people love to post nasty, bitchy things about these women? And did it ever affect you? How did you feel as the creator of this platform that did shit on other women like this? So for me, it wasn't about, I hate women.
5: It was really just more, that's what's available to discuss. You know what I mean?
1: But there were mom influencers who came out and said that the comments that they saw about themselves on Gomi practically gave them a nervous breakdown. Natalie Levin is one of them. Gomi fucking hated Natalie Lovin. Did you read that
5: article? The one, it put me on antidepressants. Yes. That are, yeah, yes. I saw that. I did see that. Yeah, it's going to sound a bit dismissive because it is, But my feeling was, why the hell are you reading it? Why are you reading it then? Don't come read stuff about yourself that you know is going to negatively impact your mental or emotional state. I don't read crap about me. Good Lord, I'd never leave the house. You know?
1: Have you ever read crap about you? Is there crap about you on the internet? Oh yeah, there's plenty. Wait, can I Google you right now? Can I see what crap is out there about you on the Internet?
5: Oh, my God. I so don't want to get into that. I mean, you can do that if you want, but don't tell me about it. I don't I don't want to know. All
1: right. I won't. won't.
5: You can do whatever you
1: want, but I don't want to hear it. All right. Yo, that is look, I don't read my reviews. I don't read my comments anymore. Um, And yeah, it may be dismissive, but it also goes to what I tell people when they're like, the Instagram makes me feel bad, then I say, don't go on Instagram anymore. Exactly, exactly. Don't follow people
5: that make you feel bad about yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty simple. Do you think that the women, and it is mostly women posting on Gomi, find a sense of community in being able to collectively snark and bitch?
5: I do. And I think there's a lot to be said for having them do it on Gomi, as opposed to going into someone's direct messages or in their comment sections and doing it. And I think because, you know, women are supposed to be ladylike and you can feel better expressing negative opinions and negative emotions, whatever. But if you can go somewhere and express all that negativity and sort of get it out, I do think in some cases it can make you feel better and having other people sort of validate that those feelings are okay or that opinion is okay to have and not run you out of town or attack you for it i think that can be a very good feeling
1: Mm -hmm. i do think that sometimes people that are commenting forget that there's a real human being with real feelings behind that influencer And I'm saying this as someone who has written a lot of shit about people over the years. I think it's very easy to think that these people don't have emotions and feelings.
5: I agree, but on the other hand, I feel like when you turn your life into a brand, you turn yourself into a product. And if you're going to go that way, you really do need to figure out a way to be okay with people saying terrible,
1: terrible things about you, because they will. If I ended up being big on Gomi or was an actual mom influencer, there's probably a lot of people out there that'd be like, she sucked or tell some terrible story about like my blacked out drunk ass from college. I was such a bitch when I was 15. I was a bitch when I was 25 too. I was not a bitch when I was 35, but 15 to 25. I'm still a bitch. Well, I don't think I'm a bitch anymore. I don't. I'm, no, I'm,
5: I am. I'm still a bitch.
1: And it's fine. It's good to know that about yourself, though. I still don't know what to think after my conversation with Atlas. I was playing devil's advocate with her, but I do see my old tabloid self in her. The bitchiness, the love of gossip, the schadenfreude, when you kind of take down someone that you are jealous of. Her comment about how people who turn themselves into brands deserve all the criticism. That's pretty much how I justified taking down Hilaria Baldwin in a story that I wrote for the New York Post. When I showed Glynis this interview, she fell more squarely on the side of seeing Alice as a villain in this story.
2: I don't think I'm a bitch is an excuse for this, to be honest with you. I feel like her rationalization that by putting yourself out there, you can expect criticism, which is true to a degree. But there's a difference between criticism and hate. Like there's one thing about critically responding to a television show and hate watching. And it feels like she's hate watching all of these women and then saying but it's fine. Just don't pay attention as if that's like a reasonable thing to expect from people. The end result is always seems to be to silence women. How dare you live out loud?
1: The more I think about this, the more it seems like a helpless cycle of women going around and around and feeling the same insecurities that turn into the same rage that they then shove in the face of other women who are also insecure and don't deserve any of it. I have a daughter. What is your name? We. I don't want this cycle to continue for her. I want all of us to just be better after the break we are going to find a way to bust out of this cycle this cycle of snark and hate following and just shit we're just we're gonna we're gonna get ourselves unstuck from all of this shit Okay, we're going to do a little poll here. No one can see you right now, so this is totally anonymous. How many of you have read through hateful gossip or comments about other women online? Influencers, reality show contestants, celebrities, specifically Angelina Jolie. All right, I feel like a lot of hands might be waving in the air. Hi, guys. Hi. Waving to you. We need to find a way out. A way out of this vicious, hateful cycle of taking women down online and then reading all of these hate-filled comments as entertainment. Journalist Katie Kelleher has done exactly that. She was addicted to reading nasty online gossip about other women. She wrote a piece about it for The Guardian.
4: I wanted to write about what compelled me to look at it, especially because I started to realize it wasn't feeling good. I tend to think of my media diet, my entertainment diet, like a diet, you know, and if if you're comparing it to a diet, I was just like chugging, you know, Mountain Dew, and then wondering why I had a stomach ache.
1: To search within herself and figure out why the hell she was reading this shit, Katie looked to the past, and she came up with something that was pretty unexpected. What I loved that you brought up in, um, your Guardian piece was relating this to the 18th century activity. And I'm going to mangle this because I, I, is this, is this French? Brûler les chats? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that, that is cat burning. How is like women on women snark on the internet related to 18th century cat burning? Whenever
4: I want to understand something I'm doing, I tend to turn to history to go, okay, is this new? Mm Mm-hmm. And as I was looking this up, I found historical examples of people publicly partaking in Schadenfreude. And there's tons of it throughout history from, you know, public executions to um, putting people in stocks to a bunch of people getting together in France and taking cats and throwing them in a fire, which is obviously, you know, to modern people, like just terrifying disgusting all those things but this was just a form of entertainment
1: burning cats for camaraderie now that comparison could make insulting natalie levin's outfit or her face feel like a pretty tame offense but i think burning cats is a perfect metaphor for what we do to women on the internet we burn these women just to feel something it's dehumanizing
4: Sometimes when you see somebody presenting themselves as so perfect all the time, there's a desire to be like, well, where's the humanity? Where's Where can I relate? I think there's jealousy and insecurity too, but I also think that there's nothing wrong with wanting to connect and relate. Um, I think that turns dark when you need to see them suffer. You know, I think there's, there's good schadenfreude, there's bad schadenfreude, and then there's sadism.
1: eventually Katie wanted out of the cat burning. She realized that reading all of that hate was starting to change her and not for the better.
2: So if you
4: read things over and over that are talking about someone's body and how disgusting it is or picking them apart, it starts to rewire your brain and that starts coming out in you. I was still they're participating by being, you know, a person who lurks online reading this stuff. And it was starting to echo in my head in a way that made me feel like not the type of person I want to be, but the like the kind of person that maybe I am, you know, maybe I am a person who enjoys some schadenfreude, but I want to be kinder than that. And so for my own sake of trying to be kinder, I decided I needed to like really take a break from looking at any negative content like that.
1: And so Katie made the conscious decision to just stop. The thing that helped her do that was changing how she interacted with the apps on her phone.
4: When you're on your phone, you have these things, it almost feels like muscle memory. I put everything that I didn't really want to find myself just clicking on again and again in a little folder on my phone. And then I have another folder that says nice things. (laughs) And this -hmm. this sounds so silly. I mean, it does. It sounds really silly. But on the the home screen, I have a folder that says nice things. And I'm checking it out right now. Mm. And in my nice things folder, I have my... Mind Body app from when I used to go to yoga classes. Mm-hmm. I have um, the New York Times cooking app. That's a really nice, nice thing that you can just go waste time on and look at recipes. I have a meditation app. I have a bird ID app from Cornell. Ooh. These are the apps that when I go on them, I learn something. Instead of picking up my phone and looking at like gossip or Twitter or something that made me feel bad, I would pick up my phone and actively think, okay, you got to go to that nice things folder. You're going to spend time in there.
1: This is so smart. I'm going to do this. When we get off the (laughs) phone, can you send me that bird app? Because looking at birds just seems like a really good use of my time. I'm
4: trying to develop certain mom skills. Like I want to know my constellations so that when my daughter asks me about these things, I'm the one who knows, you know, not my husband, not someone else. Like Mom is the person who knows the stars and what sounds birds make and can tell you about poisonous plants.
1: I took Katie's advice and I did it. I made a nice things folder and it is reprogramming my brain a little bit. I can also hoot like an owl. Hoot, hoot. Because if I learned anything from taking my intermission, it's that all of the time we spend on our phones, whether we're influencing or watching influencers, all of that is messing up our brain. It's fucking with us. It's fucking with our neurons, and I am not a scientist, so I don't know how exactly that works, but it is. And as a woman who puts herself out there on the internet, as a cat who's gotten burned in the fire, I do want this stuff to be separate from the things that I do for joy. Natalie Levin felt the same way, because while all those Gomi comments were breaking her down, her marriage was also on the verge of collapse.
0: So we had gotten to the point in our marriage where it was less good than than bad. It it was like a 75% miserable rate. And also our relationship had changed where he was good at taking pictures of me and he took beautiful pictures, but that was really what it was. It was all transactional. Marriage totally fell apart. And at this point, Huck was like six years old. He was getting a little bit to the point where I didn't want to write anything about him. And I was feeling ornery. I didn't want anybody to know anything anymore. I wanted privacy so bad. I wanted privacy from my readers. I wanted privacy from the internet and I wanted privacy from my marriage. And I, you know, I just needed like, I needed a minute with myself.
1: Natalie started to fantasize about going dark.
0: I thought, wouldn't it be just be fun one day if people got on the internet and I just wasn't there anymore. They'd go to my blog and it didn't exist. Where's, Where's hey, Natalie Jean, where did you go? I I, I wanted to do that for a long time. And then I did. (laughs) And it was great. I just did it one day. And it felt amazing.
1: And shutting down her Instagram gave Natalie her life back.
0: I took ownership of myself and my story again. It was mine. It wasn't anyone else's anymore. It was a really, really neat moment.
1: But shutting down, turning it all off, turning off her job meant that Natalie had to build a completely new life for herself. A completely new life that was separate from who she'd been on Instagram.
0: And Then immediately after I left, I got divorced and suddenly needed to have that income. <laughs> so that was bad timing. Well, the only job I could get right off the bat after that was showing apartments for... um. A real estate company, and then I also had this uh, alter ego who has been to parties with celebrities. And Hillary Clinton follows me on Instagram. It was it was very very strange to be those two people at once. I knew I needed to find a career for myself. Like it was like the whole world was my oyster, but also none of it wanted me <laughs> because I would apply to all these jobs and my resume was bizarre. I always had that. Do I go back to blogging? When do I have to go back to blogging? How long can I put off going back to blogging?
1: But then this job came up with Nike, a digital design job that entailed a lot of social media. And weirdly, being an influencer, prepared Natalie for some of the work that she would do for a sneaker company.
0: I'm just thrilled. I'm pleased this punch. I really love my job and I love working for Nike. It's the strangest turn of events. I never would have seen this coming. Now I'm doing it for something that I actually I'm happy to promote. I'm happy to work for Nike. I think that they're doing fine. It's, it's cool. I'm so glad I'm not doing it for myself about me anymore.
1: And so there's life at the other end of the influencer tunnel.
0: There is. There is.
1: What's my light at the end of the tunnel? I still don't know the answer to that. I think about Natalie a lot. And through these interviews that I've done with her, we've become like email friends. I like her so much. But I thought a lot about how being an influencer wore Natalie down and how shutting her account down was the only way that she came back to herself. And that happened to me last week when I shut it all down. I felt like I was living my real life again, as opposed to an alternate Instagram life like an episode of Black Mirror. But like Natalie, I have gained a lot of new skills. And I think that there's probably going to be some way to use them. Just maybe not as a mom influencer. Before we get to my light at the end of the tunnel, because I can see it like a little pinprick back there, shit's actually going to get darker. This whole episode was originally called The Dark Side, and it was about two hours long. So we split it into two episodes. This was the first half. You didn't think that was it, did you? Next week is the second half of The Dark Side. Next week, we're going to unpack the systemic racism in the influencer world and the infiltration of conspiracy theories and QAnon in mom-influencer accounts. I'm going to have to go really, really far into my nice things folder after next week. Under the Influence is reported and hosted by me, Joe Piazza. Our story editor is Glennis McNichol. Emily Marinoff is our producer. Sound design by Emily Marinoff and Jackie Huntingdon. Our theme and additional music was composed by Jessica Kreinchich. Mixing done by Jackie Huntingdon. Additional research conducted by Jocelyn Sears. Julian Weller is our consulting producer and Mangesh Hitikador is our executive producer. Special thanks to Kelsey Parsons, Bailey Herday, Lindsay Hoffman, and Lauren Vogelbaum for voicing our chorus of internet haters. Another big special thanks to Buffy McGuire and Lady Falcon Coffee. This is my favorite coffee brand, and I'm not being influenced. I'm not being paid to say this. Buffy is an incredible female entrepreneur, and she gave us a bunch of coffee to give away to fans of this show. So big thanks to Lady Falcon the only coffee that I drink and put on Instagram. I have an update from Alec Baldwin. Oh. (laughs) Alec Baldwin has responded to requests to find out about the provenance of the baby. Uh And his response is, shut the fuck up.
2: (laughs) (sighs) Of course, Hilaria couldn't have that response.